I always felt like I'm the voice for the kids that they don't have the skill to be able to tell you in a way that you'd understand. So I always felt like I'm just going to keep following the path of what works. It really was always about service to the children. And that was kind of like my own mantra. I'll beat my drum for you. I'll sing my song for you. I'll clap my hands to the beat that transforms into. I'll beat my drum for you. I'll sing my song for you. I'll clap my hands to the beat that transforms into. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Art and Business of Meditation podcast. I am your host, Lou Redmond. Today we have. Allison Morgan. Allison is a friend. She is a mentor in the world of kids, yoga, and mindfulness. I can't wait to share her wisdom with you today. She is the founder and CEO of Sensational Kids. She is a pediatric occupational therapist, author, international public speaker, educational trainer driven to empower youth and adults that care and serve them. She is passionate about training educators, parents, mental health professionals, allied health professionals, giving them effective techniques to develop skills such as self-awareness, management skills, compassion, and resilience so they can model and authentically teach these skills to children. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here with you. Yes. You have a great story of being in a previous career where your work is align somewhat with the work you're doing now. You're working for kids, pediatrics, so you are spending time with kids. And so I'm just curious at this transition. I know I've heard this story a little bit from you before, but maybe just for those listening of what was going on at that time and when were you like, hold on, there's something here that um, is powerful or something here that I want to bring into Um, my work. And so maybe just starting there. Yeah. Uh, So I have been trained as a pediatric occupational therapist. I went for my undergrad in that degree and then did an advanced master's in that degree. Um, Did a lot of work in the hospitals with kids with all different kinds of, you know, diagnoses and situations and um, ended up in schools when my husband and I started having our own kids, like school schedules probably going to be more suited to our lifestyle. So I was a school-based occupational therapist. And my role was to work with really the most challenging kids, helping them to increase their function, cognitively, physically, sensory, emotionally, um, you know, all of that. That's essentially the role of an occupational therapist, help kids function to the best of their ability so that they could access their education. And um, after being in a school for, it was probably about 15 years, 10 years, maybe 10 years that I was in the school, just as an OT, I started practicing yoga and meditation for myself. And it wasn't ever something like, oh, maybe this would be something good to add into my work with kids. It was just like, hey, let me try this out. Yoga really intrigued me because I used to be a dancer. And even though I love taking like exercise classes, there was something about that slow movement, slow stretch, 
awareness that I sounded great to me. But it was really like during my first yoga class that I just recognized the physiological shift within my own my own body. Like it was undeniable to me, like, oh my God, just by like sitting here or standing here and stretching in this way and breathing in this way, you know, following the instruction of the teacher, I was like, I just shifted like something major within me. And it feels incredible from the inside out. And then like the clinician in me like came out in my mind and I'm like, oh my God, the kids I work with never feel like this. Like I feel so grounded and like calm and connected to my whole body. I feel powerful. I'm like the kids I work with never feel like this. But if I can help them feel like this, what what would happen to all these skills that I'm helping them to build? Like that was just my first like overarching question that I had. And pretty much like the next day I went into my therapy room and I'm like, I have to try and teach some of these kids. Like, just like, can I teach me how to breathe? And I mean, I was working with really low functioning kids and it was at a time where, you know, you could Google yoga, like breathing techniques, kids, special needs, all like nothing really came, came up back then. I, you know, I was sort of like, all right, I'm just starting from scratch. I'm an, and OTs, we're known for um, adapting things. Like that's the blessing of an OT creative. Like you just try and adapt things. So that's what I did. I just started playing around. And I was lucky that I had my own therapy room. I was very trusted in my environment. And nobody was really questioning what I was doing. Because it looked very, very different than traditional therapy. The only time people started questioning was when I was bringing kids back to the classroom and they're like, what did you do? Like, they're so different. They, like, they came in, they're so calm. They participated. They sat down in circle time. They, they raised their hand for a question. Like all these things, teachers came, started coming back to me saying, like reporting that kids were much more engaged. And then I started to admit, like, I'm teaching them like yoga and mindfulness. And they're like, do not tell anybody. So that really was just the start of like, I'm on to something. Nobody was really doing it. I just started seeking out more and more teachers just in the world of yoga and meditation, just to learn about like, what, what really is this? And marrying it up with the science that I knew of neuroscience and physiology and um, hormones and all of those things so that I was able to explain it to people that like my colleagues, like what they would understand. So for example, I could tell them that I teach them to breathe this way it activates their parasympathetic nervous system. This is what helps them to relax so that you don't have to talk them off the cliff when they're ripping up their paper and they're erasing things a million times and they're getting all anxious. You could just help them breathe in this way and physiologically they'll calm and then you can help them move to the next step of what you want to help them accomplish. So, you know, they're able to... Um, understand it and accept 
you know, allow what I was doing. What I love about this story is that, of course, you are already highly trained in the job that in the role that you have. But I'm I'm imagining some people, if they were in your position, they might learn about yoga, and before they would would experiment, they would be like, okay, I need to get a certification doing this. Like there's there's, and I think that time. there's all the time. Yeah, it's, people. It's come, a, I mean, I've even had people who work for me like that I've hired because they have say an education background and they have a yoga a, a yoga certification and they start working for me and they're like oh I think I need this other training or I think I should get this other degree I'm like well that's great but what else do you want to do and they're like just to do what I'm doing like yeah you, you, you don't need all of those things. yeah there, there, it's it's an education industrial complex where we've been trained to think that we need pieces of paper for everything. I and mean, this is not to say there's obviously things that you want to be trained in. And if I always talk about if you're really super interested in doing that training, absolutely, you're going to learn something. It's going to be fun to do. But if you're doing it because you think you need that piece of paper, but you're like, I really don't care about this training. That's always something I tell people to 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 think about beforehand. I, I know someone who runs a uh, e th yoga therapy for kids and mm -hmm. basically for babies specifically. And she's just like, yeah, I just give parents permission to touch their babies. Like it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating that we're so often just trained like, so I just, I, I say that because I know that there's also a shadow side to this that we don't want to do any harm, of course. But if you're feeling that something's valuable and you're in a space where, yes, maybe you don't have the the full yoga certification yet, but you're seeing where you can be of service, then why not, you know, be of service? This all started, none of the ancients had, you know, certifications and trainings. They just kind of passed it down through what they learned and what they know. So it sounds like you were doing that on your own, right? You were researching, you were studying, and maybe it wasn't yeah. any specific thing. I was I was fascinated by my own personal experience and the change that started to happen with the kids that I was working with, like absolutely fascinated. And I am always, um, you know, for the children. I always felt like I'm the voice for the kids that they don't have the skill to be able to tell you in a way that you'd understand of this doesn't feel good. I don't feel safe. I'm confused. So I always felt like I'm just going to keep following the path of what works. Of what of what works. And there were plenty of things that I tried that did work. I'm like, okay, not not gonna not gonna go there. But it really was always about service to the children. And that was kind of like my own mantra. Because the other thing is that my colleagues were like, you're off your rocker, girl. You're off your rocker. We'll talk about what happens when people don't doubt doubt what we do in a second. But before that, I'd, I'd love to, to know that the choice, because I think so many people, maybe even though would be attracted to listening to this specific podcast, maybe they are educators. Maybe they want to, they take, do yoga. Maybe they're like, wow, I would love to do this as my job or my business. So when were you like, 
Did you just say, okay, I'm done with this sensational kids, put up the shop. I'm doing all these trainings. I'm doing these things. Like what was that? How, how was that transition? Like, was it a big shift or was it natural? I'd say it was both. It was natural and I resisted it for a long time. And then it just happened like that. So I'll, I'll explain. Um, it got to a point where I was working a couple of days of work in the school. I was traveling the other couple of days a week all over the country running trainings um, for therapists, for educators, for school counselors on how to integrate yoga and mindfulness into the work that they would do. What year is this? What? Uh, I want to say like mm, 2012, 2013, probably that till, uh, yeah, probably like around then. And I sort of like had sensational kids as like, yeah, I'm going to call all this travel and these trainings like sensational kids. I had the name, but I was still really working as a school-based OT. And um, so much so that what started to happen in the schools is I was having so much success, like running yoga groups, that the other therapists that I work with, we made a deal. I'll do all the groups. You do all the individual sessions. So I really got to perfect and explore just running yoga groups for kids uh, of all ages. And what started to happen was, number one, I was getting burnt out because I was like traveling and then coming in and then switching days. And I started to not love doing what I was doing on the, on the floor with the kids and really loving the training. But this ego side of me just kept saying, like, nobody else is going to be able to do this. Who's going to do it? The school won't want anybody else to do it. They're only going to want me because they think I'm the only, you know, my my ego brain just started to like take over and like hold on to all of it. And then I just had this moment where why am I doing something that is not, is not like a hell yes. It's not making me happy anymore because some of that has to be seeping out in the work that I'm doing. Like I have to let that go. I have to let that go and trust, because this was another thing. We had three young kids, like thinking about, you know, all, all the activities that they do that we have to pay for. They're going to go to college. Like I was, I had a really great career. Like I was making really good money as an OT, but I just wasn't happy. Um, so I really had to make that leap of, I'm just going to have faith that this is all going to work out, but I have to start saying no to this and yes to the where my heart is in service and where I feel like my own growth wants to take me. Um, and, you know, some of that was like a big conversation. My husband, he was super supportive. I mean, I don't know that I would have taken the leap if he was like, look, unless you can make up that income, like you can't. Like, we just can't do that. And he was just like, I trust you. Do what do what you can. It'll all work out. We'll, we'll figure it out, but don't do what is, like, hurting you, you know? Um, so I, I 
took the leap and just things happened that I never would have in that moment been able to plan on out on paper. Okay, then you're going to do this. You're going to let this go. And then this is going to come in. And, you know, I, that wasn't going to happen. I literally took the leap and I just said, universe, there's no way that you would have planted this passion and desire within me without there being a clear way. I don't see it yet because I'm stuck in this ego and, you know, the, the bills, the bills, the bills. But I'm just, I'm just going to trust and it's all going to, it's all going to work out. Deep bows for stepping in. So powerful for everyone hearing, because I can hear in my own story, you know, something like that, that we have to, I always say, meet God halfway. Like if you got the idea, you got the energy, but there's just, you got to take like, you got to meet the next step, right? You, 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 you the universe can't do everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they they can't. And I would say that there were two powerful things that I did a lot of during that time. One was journaling. Journaling, um, I don't do it all the time. Like I haven't been journaling for 10 years. I go on these um, bouts of like, that's the best way for me to really like, listen to myself, listen to the universe, all of that. I happen to be in it right now. I journal every single morning because it's an unfiltered way for me to start to discover like just where my heart is. Right. I feel like I'm just talking to God. I'm just talking to the universe and none of this has to work out the way I'm writing it. It's just, I'm just writing about like uh, how I want to feel, how I like see myself in, in the future, just writing things like anything's possible, telling the universe, like I'm awake, I'm aware, I'm listening, I'm listening to all the little steps and the messages. And I know you hear me and you see me for all that like I want to bring into the world, you know, so journaling is one. The other one is um, imagining, imagining or envisioning or dreaming or future projection of just like, how, how do I see, see myself like a year from now, five years from now. And for me, like a big thing that I see, and I've seen this for years, is on a stage with thousands of people. Now, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have no, I have no idea. I don't know who these people are. I don't know where this is, but uh, the, I see, I see that clear as day. I know what I'm wearing. I know how I'm walking around the stage. I know what body movements I'm I'm using. Like I I, I see it, and I, I don't know what it means. But Glennon Doyle has this like this great quote about imagination. And I, I I could look it up, but I because I've written it a million times. But it's something to the effect of imagination isn't where you go to um, like jump out of reality. It's really where you go to plan your reality. Like imagination is like a planning event. Love that. And it's those two things that over the past 15 years have been like my real go-to 
And when I look back in journals, because I save all my journals and I read some of the things like that I wrote in those moments, I'm like, oh, I did that. Oh, look at what I wrote and look what that turned into. Like, oh my God. And you know, sometimes they it took like a year for that to evolve, sometimes five years to evolve, but but it did. You're making me want to look through old journals because I have similar visions and you're also making me want to like, yeah, sit and imagine. I feel like I haven't done a good visualization practice of like future in a while. So if you're listening, something to continue dropping in and seeing it, feeling it, such a big, powerful practice. You mentioned having the support of your husband and you also talked about, I'm sure other people around you thinking you're crazy that you're pursuing this business. So I just actually did a Instagram post on this recently based off of a, a Jay-Z verse that I heard in the gym where he says, you can't base what you're going to be off of what everybody isn't. And the way that I took that line was that you know, so many people, they don't, it's not their vision. It's not their dream. And so taking advice from them if they don't have the actual experience that you need like they can't see your vision they don't they're not going to understand and you can't base what you're going to be off of what they aren't like you have to be able to follow your own truth so how i'm sure people listening maybe they don't have as supportive of a partner or they have fears coming up or friends that don't get it how do you do you have any support that you could offer them that or things that's helped you stay focused when other people maybe are doubting or don't see, don't get what you're doing? I'd say my first go-to is me. And what I mean by that is really allowing myself to feel what feels good to me and what doesn't. And trusting that as my number one guide. Because I always want to like I, I, I'm in a service business, right? I, I always want to serve, but it has to serve me also. And what I mean by that is it has to help me feel good about what I'm doing and what I'm sharing and what I'm giving so that in the giving, I'm not getting depleted. So what I, what I really try to do with like every decision that I make in my business, in my life, it's just, if it feels good to me, then it's the right thing. Because it's the right thing for me. It might not be the right thing for the other people around me, and that's why they don't get it. But thinking about what I might want to do, and it's like, oh, oh, and I have to tra and then I have travel, and then I have to, oh, and, I, and, and then I'm going to be on my computer all the time. I want to be on my computer. Then that's not the thing for you. But if what your heart is telling you to do and you imagine yourself doing that and it's like it totally feels good, you deserve to feel good. Like that is your, that's your, your calling card. That is your calling card that you're on the right track. So that's my number. My number one is always me. How does it feel to me? My number two is I I always look for people 
that I now I say I want to be surrounded by, but it's really I want to be connected to that, that kind of also can see my dream or my vision or they're already doing it. And I I reach out. I, I just reach out. You know, honestly, Lou, that's how you and I got connected. You reached out to me. You took a training that I led. It was, it was online. And you reached out. And this beautiful, you know, friendship and we've done work together, you know, evolved. But, you know, I have people that are in my circle of connection. They do not live around me. They live all over the they all over the country, but I have check-in points, you know, where we'll we'll talk, we'll Zoom call, whatever, and, and um, share what we're each doing. Um, sometimes you find that in coaching groups. I'm a huge advocate of coaching. I've done it myself. Um, you know, different different types of coaching programs where I'm surrounded with other people that are on the same business as me, but they have the same dream of wanting to do what their heart's calling is opposed to what this piece of paper says that I could do or what my job allows me to do or, you know, so you get the strength and wisdom from peers, colleagues in that way. So important, just emphasizing this, that finding others that are doing not necessarily the same thing, but the same thing in the sense of they're looking to bring their dreams, their gifts, their services to the world. I just started a mastermind group with that intention of just getting people together because I've seen the power of what happens when you're just in the room, that just being in the room in that energy and just being like, okay, Okay, yeah, like it's inspiring. And that's the almost all the value. That's big part of the value is just seeing that you're not alone. And then you're like absorbed by that resonant field of possibility. And um, oh, there's a lot, there's, you know, once we see it possible, it's like, oh, I can do that. I know this person. They're, they're just like me. And that that's exactly it. The energy of possibility, because it's like it flicks a switch in your brain of then being able to see yourself doing something that somebody else has already done or is in the process of doing rather than it materializing out of anywhere. And it reminds me of, um, there was this, I don't remember what the athlete was, but uh, I think it was a runner. And he like beat the world record of running. Everybody thought it was absolutely impossible. Nobody could beat the last record ever, ever, ever cannot be done. He did it. And then right after he did it, all the other runners were able to run that fast. Yeah, it's fascinating. Fascinating. But what like, happened? You gotta be you gotta be in the room. Yeah. It's a different con it's it's like activated a different consciousness of that's normal. That's normal. Like this is what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if you're in like, you know, an environment where there is a lot of negativity or, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people don't want you to show your light. Mm. They don't, they, they don't, it scares them because they're afraid to show their own and they'll do almost unconsciously whatever it will take 
to keep you where you are. Because by you staying where you are, it almost makes them okay to stay where they are. And that's really, it's really toxic, but it also, it takes a lot of courage for you to just say, like with a lot of compassion, like you can stay where you are if that's what where you're comfortable and you feel safe, but that's not, that's not for me. It's just not for me. And you have to say goodbye to things. You, sometimes you have to let people go because they don't want to come on your journey. They don't. So you imagining someone listening is wanting to teach kids or maybe get into work with kids. What do people overlook when they get excited about teaching kids yoga and mindfulness? Or if they don't overlook anything, what 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 are some things that are uh, some support or advice you can give them in the beginning of, of that journey? So I would say, you know, in the beginning of this, we talked about training. I think if, if your desire is to teach kids yoga and mindfulness, it really is. I think when you're working with kids, it is an environment right now in our culture where you actually do need that piece of paper. You, you do. And that has to do with um, trust of the adult that's in charge of that, the care of that child, making sure that they're leaving their child with somebody who truly, you know, has knowledge in the subject area. So that would be that would be my number one thing. My number two thing would be to get as much experience as you can in leading groups or teaching the tools to kids. Um, I remember I used to, um, just like neighborhood kids, I'd have come to my house uh, because it was very different uh, me teaching yoga and mindfulness to kids with autism and ADHD and uh, you know all these different diagnoses opposed to teaching typically developing kids yoga and mindfulness. So you know any opportunity I could get to practice my skill, I was gonna I was gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say, um, you know, a big thing I see, uh, especially in the beginning of this yoga and kids movement and moving into schools, I would say um, the biggest thing that people like miss the mark on that really couldn't sustain their business were people that kids yoga and mindfulness business but they didn't understand how to speak to the benefits based on the clients that they were looking to service. So if I were a kids yoga and mindfulness teacher, the way I would explain what I'm doing with kids, if I was working in a yoga studio, was very, very different than if I'm bringing it into 
a school atmosphere. It would be very, very different if I'm looking to work in classrooms, and it would be very different if I'm looking at before and after school programs. So really being able to articulate what it is that you're offering, but you have to know who it is that's listening. It's not the kids listening to what you're doing. It's those that are going to essentially pay for it. Can you explain some things to think about, like of if it's a principal, if it's like, what are some, and I know your art is in the science and research. So I'm sure that speaks to some people, which is not my forte at all. Maybe that's why uh, it's been a struggle to to stay in schools because I don't, I don't speak to the statistics or the science about it because it's not my joy. Like I don't find yeah, like, yeah. It, yeah. joy in it. Yeah. So when I'm speaking to, um, let's let's go from the top down, right? So if I'm speaking to a, a superintendent or a principal, I first want to listen, like, what are the big challenges in classrooms? Like, if, if you're going to bring me in, like, what are you hoping for? So I listen to their language and I listen to what the, you know, the real problems are. And typically it is um having a lot of behavioral issues uh teachers are burnt out because um there's so much for them to manage and we're we have a problem with like teacher retention teachers don't know how to deal with all the behaviors kids can't stay focused we got a lot of kids with let's say ADHD that like they're all over the place they can't sit in their chairs for yeah so like the list goes on and then what I do is I'll look at what it is that I do and I offer and is it a match? Like can the things that I'm bringing, so for sensational kids, we sort of break it down into breathing practices, movement practices, and meditation practices. And it's very much about um, short one to two minute practices in the classroom to help reset and realign the brain and the body so that all of that individual can be there and available for, for learning. So I have to make sure that what it is that I know my programs can do, does it meet their needs? And then I speak to those needs and how. So let's just take, um, you know, teachers are burnt out right? They're like losing it by the middle of the day. So I might explain how, you know, it's really important for them to have really quick in the moment practice that they could re-energize themselves because they can't run for another cup of coffee in the, you know, in the, the break room. So a quick, quick, like breathing practice or something like breath of joy or something that really boosts the energy internally that they could do in a minute or two is going to make the next minutes so much more um, productive uh, for the teacher and for the student. You know, if it's something like managing all the behavioral issues, my approach might be, um, you know, typically the way that we're approaching behavior in schools is through behavior modification. So we have checklists and stars and prizes and all of that, which really is about like shaming and blaming. It's like calling kids out on what they're doing wrong. And we know from the science 
that that is a painful experience for the individual. So we're then putting that child, rather than making them alert and aware, like, oh, I can't do that. What we're doing is we're putting them on the defensive. Like, and we're putting them into protection mode, which turns on the back part of their brain. When the back part of their brain is firing, they can't learn at all. All they could do is fight, fight, or freeze. That's it. And it might look like they stop the behavior. That's because they're in freeze. Literally, you scared the crap out of them. So it's going to stop the behavior. All right. So then re- helping them reframe behavior and how all of the practices that we offer really about helping kids to feel safe within their own body and balance their nervous system. And when we become regulated, a well-regulated nervous system behaves appropriately. And I'll use that type of wording because they understand that. Um, There's two things I want to emphasize. The first is whether whatever you're business is, whatever you're working on, when you're in conversation with a potential client or a potential school, it's so important to let them speak more than you speak. Let you listen to what their issues are. And, and I heard this only just recently where it was just clicked. And I remember having conversations where I'm just trying to explain what this thing is. And I'm just talking about it. And I'm just kind of throwing stuff at the wall because um, I, I think maybe this is what they want to hear. And it's not to say that we want to listen to them to then just use their words to manipulate anything, but we want to actually understand where they're coming from. And, you know, the thing about the work of of mindfulness, yoga, meditation, there it is, it's not a panacea by any means, but it can be so widely applicable for different things. So meeting people where they're at um, in, in speaking in that language is so important. And then the training. As someone who is trained in adult yoga and taught adult yoga and asana and tried to start to bring in that to kids, once I did a kids, specifically kids mindfulness training and learned different specific tools for kids, it's such a, you can't teach a adult mind a yoga class to preschoolers. It's not going to work out. There's not enough attention. You have yes. to learn. <laughs> yeah. Like there's there's so many amazing tools. I, I learned through Little Flower Yoga. I learned through you and training with you. So Allison does these trainings. If you're like, okay, I need to figure out one, but it is just learning different mini practices that you're doing with kids that keep it very engaging, that keep it fun is how they're actually going to do it. So I can't emphasize enough that it's not, you can, you can take your yoga and I'm sure you can make, and if you're creative, absolutely, you can make it fun and it'll be great. But when you do a training and you have all this, this huge toolbox of things that you can bring in, it, it does make a big difference specifically for the work in schools. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you hit the nail on the head. It's tools in your toolbox. Um, and one of the things that I always say to the people that work for me is um, because every lesson that they do, we have all the lessons written up because we do have programs where we're in schools every week doing regular math practices. So we have a whole curriculum, but you have to be able to just rip it up and not follow it at all if it's not going that way 
when you when you're there with the kids because it's so much about um, emotional connection and you know shifting the energy. So you have to really be aware and be present to what you're meeting when you come into a classroom. So for example, I went into a classroom, had a whole lesson plan. Everybody's sitting sitting around ready for the lesson, but I could just see the whole class is like kind of like in a depressing funk. Like you could just see like their whole energy, their body language. And this was, I think, like second or third graders. And I turned to the teacher and I just said, is there something going on? Like before I came in, like, did I come, you know? And she said, actually, one of the students is in the hospital with leukemia and they just finished um, making cards for this student and they were talking about it. So they were sad. The class was just filled with sadness for their classmate who, you know, was hospitalized and sick. So that whole lesson plan ripped up. We did meditations of sending, of sending love. We did movement of filling us ourselves up with love energy and healing energy and then sending it to this, to this student. Um, you know, the whole lesson just focused on meeting their need, right? And helping them process the feelings that they were all having in that moment. You mentioned having people working for you. And I know you talked about learning in business, the importance of starting to hire out for spaces that aren't in your zones of genius. You didn't use those words, but I know you've used it before. We've talked about that in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. So when did that, just explain more how you think of that, because I think this is something very important. Maybe not the beginning, obviously, if this is, if you're new to it, but if you've started doing things, like it's always helpful to think about like what are the things you don't like doing there's probably someone who can do that thing a lot better and give you more energy to focus on the things that you do love and and grow that way so how did that learning come to you was it just like you're so overwhelmed because you're running to this school running to this one running to this one I was like I need to there's got to be another way well it started it started with that it started with like oh my god I just don't I don't like this anymore. I used to love it. I used to love every minute of it. And it's very clear to me, it's not, it's energy depletion to me, not energy um, gaining to me. So it got to a point where like, I have to let that go. Um, And at first, that was my first thing. Like, I'm going to just let it go. And I, I, my first move was passing it on to somebody else that really wanted to do it. So I wasn't yet of the mindset of like, oh, this could be part of my business, but I could hire somebody. I literally gave all this work over to a colleague that I knew really wanted it and would do a really good job. So for me, like, I just need to know that the kids that I was providing service for were still going to get high quality, great service by somebody who really wanted to do this work. And then it wasn't until later in my um, like business evolution that I realized, 
well, I didn't have to give that up. I could have hired somebody to 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 do that and kept that business. Um, which is then what I started to do. <clears throat> yeah. And the way that I <clears throat> the way that I decide now what should I what should I give up and pass over and what should I keep is first what am I enjoying doing? Cause I so we had a, we started talking before um, before this podcast, and we were talking about how you and I both like love to create, love to create, love to create, love to create. So the beginning creations of things that's in my wheelhouse, and I just love that. But now what I used to do is I would totally create, create, and it like completely to the end. I would go all from the beginning of, of creation to the end, birthing it, and then marketing it and selling. I did all of it. And now what I noticed is there, it, depending on what I'm creating, there are parts of it that are like just so tedious and not fun for me, like organizing the content and, and um if it, it's, it's gonna be like a paper thing like laying it out on paper and making it look pretty and um you know things like that so i just break things down and decide you know what do i love to do what do i not love to do and what pieces could i pass off to somebody else something that i want to coaches is sometimes what happens is you actually love doing something, but it's a time sucker. It keeps you from doing more important things in your business. And there are other people that actually do it better than you. So you kind of need to make that decision. Can you, can you pass that off to somebody else to free you up to doing the other things in your business? that it are too expensive to hire somebody else. So you need to like kind of suck it up and do it. Um, or there are other things that actually can move your business forward faster. So that's why you had mentioned, you know, your zone of genius. And that's from, it's a, it's a book. I forget the author. It's called The Big Leap. But there's actually like a worksheet in there where, you know, you put in, the box, like what is your zone of like absolutely genius? Nobody can do it like you and you love to do. And what are the things like you love to do them, but probably there's somebody that could do them better, right? But you do you do like to do it. What I usually find is like ego is wrapped up in there, in that box. And then there's another box of like, what do you not like to do? You do it okay, like you're you're getting by. But it's not like you're not that great at it, but you kind of feel like you have to do it. And what are the things in your business like you hate doing, like you absolutely don't like doing? And you put those four boxes and then you just look at like, okay, where can I find other people to do some of those things? And it really is amazing when you break it up in that way, because then it get, rather than just like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with all I have to do in my business. What it does is it chunks it down so you could actually see like, all right, where's my overwhelm coming from? 
And, oh, it's just like these three things. It's everything. It's these three things. Okay, now I can think of more possibilities of what I could do with those three things. So it makes it much more manageable in your mind to um, solve the problem. And the author is Gay Hendricks. It's a great book. I read it. I read it multiple times, The Big Leap. So definitely nod to Gay on that. So what are some zones of genius in kids' met yoga and meditation world that you see? Like maybe what do you see the people that where it's not, maybe someone wants to get into it, but they're like, you know, I don't, I want to help kids. I love meditation, mindfulness, but I don't really want to teach the kids necessarily. Or I want to, I'm just curious, like what, what do you see? Because you have people working for you in different capacities. Like what are zones of genius and different options for people if they want to get involved in in, in work, in education and, and with kids? Yeah. I, uh, honestly, Lil, it is, there, there's such a huge range of what you could do. I mean, I would almost say that if like somebody's listening and like their calling is, I want to do something in the world of of kids yoga and mindfulness and making sure that more kids have the opportunity to experience what these practices could bring in their life. I mean, you could do anything from a podcast. Like maybe you don't teach kids yoga at all and you really have no interest in in like being on the mat with kids. But you just know that there's great value in this for kids. Maybe you want to have a podcast where you bring on other people already doing this work just for them to tell the world what it is that they're they're doing. Right? So you just want to be an advocate for for the work. Or maybe you want to have a company where you um, you hire people that are already doing this work, but you're finding more work for them. So maybe they're not good at selling what they do, but you are. So you're happy to get on calls and send emails to administrators explaining to them the benefits. And then you have a bunch of people that work for you. And then you you know, schedule them and you put it out there. Um, so I, again, I would almost say that if like that's your your passion, if you can marry it up with something that you know you can do or you have a desire to do, there are so many ways you could expand this work. You can you can be of great value um in expanding this work for kids i love it so i'm just thinking of like wow yeah it would be cool to just have like a like a you could be a sales a salesperson for this like that could be your job like you 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 just work you work in sales now and you're like i know this isn't unfulfilling what i'm selling but like this would exactly. be fulfilling because i believe in it Right. And then that could be it. Like you find, you know, one of us that are like, I don't want to send a hundred emails to schools. I would love someone who knows what they're doing to to get on calls and sell. A, th- a thousand percent. And I would say, if you're that person listening, call me. Like that's <laughs> one of the things. So like, here's my zone of genius is when I'm on a call, 
with an administrator or school counselor or whatever. I love having the conversation and listening to them and helping them understand how our program may be beneficial to them. But I don't like doing that tedious work of bombarding them with emails constantly, like that cold call, you know, like all those calls. I, I, I don't, I don't like that. I would love to find somebody that, that loves to do that. Well, I'm curious how much of your business is that now versus word of mouth and connections and because I've talked to specifically maybe youth speakers where they say they've never sent a cold email. It's just continual referral. And I'm like, I've sent thousands. I think I'm not in the right place. <laughs> I think there's something's off here. Like, and, and I don't, I don't love being, I have people that they send me five emails trying to like, you know, do edits for my podcast or whatever. And like, I realize how I don't love receiving just a bunch of like cold emails at all. And so like, I've done that to so many educators, like five emails. And I'm like, man, I don't like the energy that I show up with in that. So all that to be said, uh, what, yeah, how, how, did that at the start, were you doing that? Like, is that, if someone wants yeah. to start, start, like, were you just, all right. So, so you wanna... at the start, I'd say before I ever had a coach, it was just word of mouth. I didn't know how to reach out. And then I had a coach and I was doing more um, short presentations uh, at like administrator meetings and things like that. And then giving them a little survey and asking if I can contact them. So I'm already getting like their permission to call them and all their information. And I was doing that more in the trainings that I was doing because I would do a training and there could be you know, professionals from a hundred different schools there. So I would do surveys and ask for, um, you know, would you recommend this to your administrator and give me their um, email and phone number? And then I would follow up with those types of, you know, potential um, clients. Um, the other thing that I've done is, um, so let me just back up. Those types of things were energy suckers and so, so much time and very unfulfilling to me. So I sort of went back to, okay, this really needs word of mouth, um, but how can I just get more exposure out there? And I started doing a lot more social media on LinkedIn. And um, really my approach is I don't want anything from you. I just want to teach you and build your awareness and help you in some way. So everything I put out is very, very informative. Now, that being said, sometimes in there, it's like, I'm going to be running a training. If you want to come to the, to the training and here's how you sign up. Those offers are probably only 10% of what I do, which most people would say like, you're crazy. You really should be offering a lot more. What I find is that when I'm more in in service and sharing information that can help people, that feels good to me. And I know from my past, if I stay in the zone of what feels good to me, the universe will provide. It will come back to me somehow, and I don't 
need to know how. So really my approach, I would say like in the last year, I asked my question, but I asked myself the question, what do people need? What do they need? And what can I give them? So a big thing that we've done is I have like a free resource page on my website, which I got the idea to have because people were always um, emailing me. Like I saw this graphic that you had on your website or at a workshop or whatever. Um, would you mind if I use it in a lesson or would you mind if I use it in a presentation about this, this, and this? And I was like, yeah, go ahead. Just make sure you tell them it's from Sensational Kids. Uh, yeah, got, use it. And it was happening all the time. So I'm like, I'm just going to put it up there. So like they just know and I have a little disclaimer, like you can't use this for, to sell, but use it for any of the work that you're doing. Just please credit Sensational Kids. And I have to tell you, people from all over the world download stuff from there. Like, and I just get such a kick out. I'm like, oh, Jeremy, oh, that South Carolina, you know, like I get such a kick out of it. So I, I just love creating that kind of content. You know, the other thing is doing podcasts like this. I love doing podcasts. I love it. And it's all free information. I think I love it because I love listening to podcasts. I love it. And I can't tell you how many times I listen to a podcast and I'm like, I love what that person's saying. I'm going to buy that book or I'm going to look, look them up. Like to me, that is great value to me. So I feel like I could provide great value to other, to other listeners. So that's really, honestly, that's been, that's my approach right now in my, in my business. I love it. It's, you're really talking about like the energetics of business in some ways and really coming from that space of being in service, but being in service, not in like, oh, I'm serving others, like it sucks, like like sacrifice, right? I always say like service doesn't mean sacrifice. It's like, actually, no, I, this I've fills you it. up so much. It is of service to others, but it is also of service to me. Yes. And I say that very unapologetically. If it yes. does not fill me up, I can't be of service to you. Yes. It means that I just want something from you. Right. It has to fill me up. This might be an overstretch. I don't know. You let me know if you resonate. But uh, you know, Mother Teresa used to say, we always think of Mother Teresa as like the most selfless person. But I, I would pause on that and say like Mother Teresa would see the face of Jesus in the people that she was helping. Like she felt closest to her source in that work. And so in so many ways, like I don't think she would have done what she did without how full that kind of work would make her feel. So you don't have to be a Mother Teresa if that's not where your unique in fingerprint to to fill yourself is in the world. So we all, I believe, have that in some ways. Yes. Yeah. I think people, I think it's common in our culture to think that we have to like self-sacrifice in the service of others. We have it all wrong, mm. all wrong. 
you cannot be of service to other people if you are depleted. You're actually doing a huge, huge disservice because they're getting the disingenuine you. It's not authentic you. And I also think that it stops people from being their authentic self. So you're in total disservice if what you're doing is incredibly depleting you. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, oh my God, educators quitting, educators leaving, educators leaving, educators leaving, you know, but it, yeah. but it's, it's true. And you've used this word many times. It's about the energy. Every single thing is energy and you want a fair exchange, whether it's monetary, whether it's about your happiness, about there has to be, there has to be an exchange. Otherwise it's, it's it's really not in service. Your purpose seems like it continues to evolve. And we were talking before this how you have people running some of your programs, but you're also in a new creation mode. So I'd love to hear you talk about what's what's being imagined now in your journaling, you know, practices. Like what are you what are you thinking about? What's exciting you now? Yeah. Um, well, first let me just say that. I often start creating when I'm feeling dis-ease in what I've been doing. It's like it's like the universe nudging me like, all right, Allison, there, there's more in you. Like you're getting too comfortable here. So I'm going to make you like not so happy with what you're doing so that you start looking for like uh, for other things to do. So that's kind of like where I've been like since... COVID, you know, working with schools, it's, it's, there's just like lots of, lots of challenges there. And we used to do like a lot of hand holding and we were in schools, in classrooms, a lot of professional development. And I was just getting totally, totally drained. But the aspect that I always love, people have like that aha moment of like, oh, like I actually can help myself feel good from the inside out and connect more to like what's in my heart and what my own purpose is. And um, so I've just been journaling a lot about the aspects of like my genius zone, which really, yes, it's creation, but it's also, it's definitely teaching and connecting the science with the practices. So helping people feel safer and more comfortable in the practices that might be weird to them. Um, and just journaling about, you know, who is it that I like to teach it to? I like to teach the adults. I love teaching to the teachers, but I feel like ready to help people experience it in a little bit deeper than what I could go into in just a like one day kind of workshop and follow up. So, you know, sort of imagining like, you know, how can I like, do I want to be a coach to adults and, 
Or do I want to run retreats? Or do I want to just have like more classes, more teaching? Like, you know, I, I sometimes you just don't need, you don't know. You don't, you don't have to know all of the answers. And um, something really, you know, serendipitous happened um, like two months ago, one of my good friends, she wrote a book about a year ago, and it's about female, um, kind of like empowerment, but it's about um, ha- learning how to have self-compassion for yourself. And What's the book title to give her a plug? Oh, yeah. So the name of the book, her name is C.K. Collins. And the name of the book is The Swipe Right Effect. So it's like when you swipe right on an app, you're choosing. So this is about choosing yourself. Um, you know, really like finding finding yourself. So it's, it's really, um, it's for anybody, but really like people that have been through, you know, a whole life experience. A life and a life experience and are in really transition and like what's up for my next my next feature film of my life and she created a, a retreat it's called momentum and i could share the links with you if you want um so she had this vision this dream of, of like 10 to 15 women coming for a weekend and a six-month program and following the chapters of her of her book and uh she just started creating this and she's like I don't know how I'm gonna do it I just have this vision of of doing this and she knew parts of it she needed other teachers for but it's her first experience she's never done it before um not she didn't have a huge budget and you know full bank account like let me just hire people and like this will be great so um you know, she knows I have experience with running retreats and things like this and going over her whole plan. I, I even said to her, like, you need to have some movement in here. You've got these women here for, um, you know, three days, three nights. These are women that have been through some heavy life experiences. There's probably some trauma there. Um, and it's all great. Everything she planned, I'm like, but really, like, let's like, you need to give them like some movement, some breath work some other meditations and things like that. And um, she's like, yeah, I I don't know how I'm gonna do all that. So I just like offered, I'm just like, that's my wheelhouse. Let me do it, let me help, let me help you. And she's like, okay, but I have to pay you. Like, how am I gonna do that? I'm like, you you don't have to pay me. Like, I wanna do this for you. You know, and I was really just so into it for doing it for her. It's my good friend, I'm like so, proud of her like for putting all this to together and um she's like you gotta pay you i gotta pay you so i just said look you could pay me by letting me attend any part of your retreat that i want so either your sessions a speaker sessions whatever that that i said you're right there needs to be an exchange right we're talking about energetic exchange there needs to be an exchange but i'm really happy with that being the exchange so that's what we decided. And then as I am creating my, it's like a three hour session that I'm gonna lead. I'm like, I think this is it. Like this is this is so much fun for me, planning this whole thing out of 
what I want to, what I want to share with them, what I want to teach them, what it could open up for them that I know there's no other sessions that she's having that, that are like this for them. And I'm like, you know, now I'm like, okay, universe, I see you're, this is part of the path of me figuring it out. And then the other thing that's so funny is yesterday I get this email. Okay. It was one of those soliciting emails about a company that organizes your whole retreat. They do, they do everything. You, you come with your content, right? But they, they help you like plan the whole thing of the venue and the food and the accommodations and all that stuff. And like, I've never gotten an email. Like, like I get solicited for a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, you know, let it, let me do your social media content, stop podcast, stop, you know, bookkeeping. I have never, ever gotten an email about let us plan your retreat. Like, okay, universe, I'm, I'm playing with it. Yeah. I'm playing with it. I love that so much. Feel, follow your energy, follow what feels good, what's not what fills you, what doesn't deplete you. I love, we were just talking about beforehand too, of like, there's things that, yeah, it doesn't matter. I just want to do it, right? Whatever money, not in, sometimes that doesn't, oftentimes, right? That's, that keeps us going, but that's not the energy that's really, you know, part of the work of what we're creating. So following that, I'm super inspired. You are helping me get clearer on my decision coming up today, <laughs> which the listeners, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it on the podcast because I think, I'm curious. Now I'm expecting something to happen. Right? When we say no to something, you know, doors open up, but now I'm noticing expectation or attachment to it. So it probably is not going to happen. But um, Allison, what are, I just, I'd love maybe two more things. First, a book or books and, and please recommend your own because you have some amazing kind of manuals that people can find for kids, mindfulness and yoga, but any other books that you might recommend um, in that space or any that maybe come to mind that aren't in that space? Yeah. So um, thank you for letting me give a plug to mine. You could actually yeah. see one of them right but right behind me. So we have two um, manuals, like teacher's guides for sharing breath movement and mindfulness with students from kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. Um, both those manuals are for sale on, um, on the website. Um, I think what I'm most proud of with those two books is that it really, really simplifies and makes um, the practices very easy to implement, even if you have absolutely no experience doing this. Um, and even though, you know, because everything's scripted, the science is there, explains to you how is this um, related to what you're doing in the classroom every day, whether it's like you're teaching math or you're teaching reading and, you know, how can these practices um, help you? You know, all of that is there. And it also ties in social emotional learning, which a lot of schools, they don't have a plan for that right now. So this easily ingrains it in what you're doing. And the other aspect is um, teacher well-being and self-care. Like that's all in the in the books as well. So I'm I'm super proud of those. Um, I would say that you asked me about other books that I'm um, 
reading or interested in. I'm definitely on a somatic embodiment, polyvagal, um, d- deep dive. Uh, I have been for for quite a while. The two books that I'm just like flipping through um, right now, back and forth, and like loving, and they happen to be by two colleagues of mine. So I, I don't even know the exact title. So one of them is um, okay. Now I'm just like absolutely drawing drawing a blank. So it's embodiment in like trauma work by Catherine Cook um Catone that just came out from Pessy. It's it's fabulous. The other one, it's also trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness through a polyvagal lens. And that's by um uh Spence. Like <laughs> and I see mm-hmm. his face. It's so funny. I, Joanne Spence. Um, and the other um, book is by Deb Dana. So Deb Dana, it, she's more in the world of um, psychology and psychotherapy. But again, it's about um, that the polyvagal lens and what we're doing. Um and I think the other plug I really would like to give, if somebody is really interested in like working in schools, is all the work of Lori DeSaltis. She is a PhD. Um, she started um, applied neuroscience in education, applied educational neuroscience, which takes like all the, I mean, current, current neuroscience and puts it in a trauma-informed lens of really creating a new culture of of school and how we connect and interact with the children that we sit beside every day. So she has a few books out there that are just, they are spectacular and spot on, spot on. Amazing, super helpful. And people can also, can they buy the video course with your workbooks? Is that, is that, is that something that they can do on a single? Yeah, so I, um, along with having the manuals, we also have an online, like self-paced course. You actually, when you buy it, you get it for the whole year, which it has professional development about things like how the brain really wires and the brain-body connection, um, social-emotional learning, uh, about behavior, about educational well-being. So it has uh, about an hour and a half of professional development, like for the teachers, and then over 40 videos of two to three minute practices where it's really for direct student instruction. So it's as if we're in the classroom with your students leading the practices. And what educators love about that is it's at your fingertips, right? Everybody's plugged into the internet and every educator gets their, their own login but it's done in a way where educators can do the practices with their students because the practices are really about rebalancing and um, re-regulating the nervous system, the mind and the body. So it's not only our students that need it, our teachers need it too. So they can take those few minutes for themselves at the same time. So they don't need to be the ones leading the practices. And that's all available on um, on the Zensational Kids website. 
super robust. I mean, so admire your body of work um, and what you've been able to like create. It's really super, super valuable. So definitely check that out if it's calling to you. And sensationalkids.com, where, what are you, what's the social, any socials where people can find you? Um, yeah, so we're on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, it's Allison Morgan. Um, Facebook, I've done a little bit on TikTok, but it's more Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that I would say is that if um, people are they're interested in the work and the content, that if you go on the website and sign up for like our newsletter, like I, the other thing that I've been doing a lot of is writing a lot of articles, just, you know, keeping people informed of like, what's the science saying? What are some easier ways that we can handle some of the common issues that we're having with kids, with ourselves in, in classrooms? So um, if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get notified like when we have new free content, new videos um, or articles. I don't think I'm on your newsletter. So I feel like I'm not getting these. Do you get it? If you download one of those free things, I'm assuming that gets added to your newsletter too, right? Are you well, saying- here's the funny thing, you know, all these things like what you hire people for and what you try to do yourself and whatnot. So in the last year, I've created all these new, like new things, new offerings um, on the website. And then what I'm realizing is like, great, I'm giving out all of this stuff, but I'm not, I don't have it linked up in a way to like send them more when there's, when there's more and I'm asking them for their email, but I don't have that like little plugin thing. Right. Like like, like, these little, these little things. So I, two months ago, I hired a company to go through my whole website and just see where do I have these, these links that are missing. And again, it's about service. It's about me being able to reach more people to just give them so that they don't get lost like, oh, you downloaded that that post or that workbook. Where, you know, I could still just, you know, keep them in the, you know, in the community kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so we have a bunch of like more new things coming because this company, they're giving me some really good ideas of how I could still again, like add value with things that I'm, that I'm creating. Amazing. Go check that out. Allison, so, so fun to connect and um, share the space with you. Thanks for having, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I love talking with you. I really, really do. And I'm, I have to say, I'm so inspired by you and all the things because we've been in conversation and we're together probably for, I don't know, four years. Yeah. About like, yeah, four or five years. And to see what you are creating truly from your heart of what inspires you and what fills you is just, it's just fabulous. Mm. Yeah, I'm so proud of you and happy for you and happy for people that are in your circle. Mm. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you, Allison. All right, friends, we will see you next time. I'll be my drum for you. i sing my song for you. i clap my hands to the beat that transforms into. I'll be my drum for you.
music you heard is a song called Nova by River Roots. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>